Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a beautiful Tuesday here in Las Vegas. The weather cannot be uh, more beautiful than it is right now. Uh, Gearing up for a big night of college basketball, uh, UCLA and USC uh, both playing tonight. Uh, I'll I'll call them the suburban schools here in Las Vegas. Los Angeles is basically a suburb, or excuse me, Las Vegas is basically a suburb uh, of Los Angeles uh, and vice versa. Uh, We're kind of, you know, brothers and sisters, brothers, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But the two local colleges, uh, USC and UCLA, playing tonight in the, uh, you know, trying to get to the final four. And wouldn't that be uh, really cool for West Coast basketball? Uh, Hopefully Las Vegas, UNLV. Uh, joins the party here uh, at some point with their new coach, uh, but we'll see uh, how that all goes. Welcome to the show, Raider Nation. Want your thoughts on another busy day in the NFL, including the Raiders. Uh, give us your thoughts on on everything, and we're going to get right to it here in just a second. But uh, 702-365-9200 is the call in line. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila in Bajador. So what do you think? Uh, we, we knew it was coming. The 17th game was uh, uh, pretty much inevitable. Uh, going all the way back to last summer uh, when the union, uh, uh, the Players Association and the NFL uh, came to terms on the new collective bargaining agreement and added the possibility uh, of uh, the NFL opting to move to a 17-game schedule. Uh, it was uh, as early as this season, as late as next season, uh, the N- NFL obviously decided to, uh, to get crack a uh on that, and uh, they made it a reality day for that 17th game to be played this year in 2021. So hello, Chicago Bears. Welcome to Allegiant Stadium. We don't know when the Bears are coming. We don't know who their quarterback is going to be. Isn't that kind of interesting? Andy Dalton, are you kidding me? Anyway, uh, that's a story for another day, but the Chicago Bears are the Raiders' Tenth uh, um, home game, uh, excuse me, ninth home game, regular season home game uh, at Allegiant Stadium at a uh, time and date to be uh, uh, announced. If, if in case you're kind of confused, and uh, it, it, you know, anytime a, a change like this happens, it's a little bit confusing. All right, so how does it all work? How is the schedule determined? Well, it's going to go on a AFC NFC basis, so it's always going to be for now, anyway, um, a interconference. Uh, match up. So AFC teams will be hosting NFC teams this year across the board. The AFC gets all the home games uh, this year during the regular season, um, that that uh, that ninth uh, and that extra uh, home game. Next year, it'll be the NFC. Uh, kind of like how it works in those, um, in those two games each year that are outside your division and outside your designated division within your conference and out of conference. The way it works is uh, you'll play, uh, i.e. the Chicago Bears and the, and the Raiders both finished in second place in their respective divisions. Uh, so uh, the Raiders, and, and it sounds like the AFC West is going to play the NFC Central uh, this year. So the Raiders will host uh, the Bears, who finished in the same spot they did in the standings. Um, kind of like they do, for the like again, for those other two games dr- during the course of the year. Next year, wherever the Raiders uh, finish, um, they'll play an NFC counterpart. 
uh, from a division uh, in which that team finished in the same standing as the Raiders. So that's basically the long and short of it. It sounds way more complicated. I'm probably making it way more complicated uh, than it really is. Uh, but that's that's uh, essentially the gist of it. Um, and uh, we'll get into how this affects uh, pay uh, because – uh, if you're lucky enough to have signed your contract, uh, if you're an NFL player and you're lucky enough to have signed your contract prior to last summer when the CBA uh, was was ratified and uh, agreed upon between the NFL and the NFL Players Association, uh, guess what? You just got a bonus paycheck. Derek Carr, literally today, thanks to a vote, will make $1.2 million more next year based on a 17th game. Uh, then he would, you know, then he was scheduled to make yesterday (laughs) at this time. So uh, players like Derek Carr and Derek Carr signed his contract in 2017 uh, because that contract was signed prior to the new CBA. Uh, Essentially, uh, the way his salary will work out, his pay schedule will work out. Um, In the NFL, salaries are predicated on uh, your salary divided by how many games uh, are played. So in a typical year, it was, you know, for, for, for Derek Carr, it was, he's making $19.5 million. Let's just say to round it off. Uh, you divide that by 16. So that's, you know, a million and change each week uh, for the 16 games. And then just tack on another $1.2 million for that 17th game. That goes for guys like Aaron Donald, anyone who signed their contract prior to last uh, summer when the, when the new uh, collective bargaining agreement was uh, ratified. Now, if you signed your contract post new uh, CBA, Kenyon Drake, uh, who the Raiders just signed uh, a few weeks ago uh, in free agency, his contract, his salary, now gets divided by 17 games. So um, if you're, again, if you're lucky enough to have signed your contract prior to, uh, you get an extra check. You literally get an extra check. Um, and then if you sign your contract after that, uh, it's just as normal. Uh, your salary will just now be spread out and divided by 17 games. So a little bit of a bonus there for guys like uh, Aaron Donald and, and Derek Carr and many, many others. Um, and by the way, if you're wondering, next question, I'm sure, well, how does that affect the salary cap? Because obviously there's a whole bunch of guys on any given roster, including the Raiders, that are going to be making an extra whatever the case might be. Uh, in, in, in Derek's car, it's another $1.2 million or so um, above what they are you know, scheduled to – what they would have been scheduled to make in a 16-game schedule. So if you times that by like let's say every team has 20 players, 30 players – that uh, are in that category where they signed their contract uh, prior to last summer, that adds up pretty good. Well, how does that affect the salary cap? It doesn't. (laughs) Uh, That's the long and short of it. It won't affect the – any contract that was signed, again, prior to um, last summer uh, will not count against the cap moving forward. Now, eventually, all of those contracts are going to phase out and expire – and then from that point on, any new, you know, every contract, it'll go back to the old way where, where you had to, whatever a player was making, it had to fit under the salary cap. Uh, but there's some contracts, many of them, uh, that are being grandfathered into the new uh, uh, schedule. And uh, those, those contracts are not going to affect those salaries and that extra money is not going to affect uh, the salary cap. So, so there you go. Uh, uh, Derek Carr, his birthday was yesterday, right? 30th birthday. Um, happy birthday, <laughs> Derek. Uh, and here's another $1.2 million for you. He's not the only one. And you know what? He deserves it. I'm pro uh, player. 
uh, always in terms of how much uh, they can make and, and, and fighting for every uh, dollar that you're worth. Uh, and, and Derek Carr is definitely uh, worth it. Now, here's an interesting tidbit. Um, nothing official yet, and I don't know if conver- I don't think conversations have have begun in any kind of an earnest way uh, for an extension for Derek Carr. But I suspect at some point, probably fairly soon, that's going to happen. Um, and so you have to wonder uh, if it happens like this year. Then if, if it happens prior to the season starting, let's say Derek Carr and the Raiders agree to an extension uh, prior to this season, obviously he will, have, he will sign a new contract. So uh, that, it actually might negate uh, that bonus that he's getting right now. But I would imagine uh, his agent uh, and Derek are already thinking along those terms in terms of uh, that has to be accounted for. You know, uh, you're not going to just give up $1.2 million um, you know, of, of, of extra money. You're going to figure out a way to keep that $1.2 million uh, involved <laughs> in, in, the, in whatever new extension he signs. Speaking of extensions. Congratulations, Colton Miller, uh, the Raiders' young left tackle from UCLA. John Gruden's first draft pick since taking over the Raiders back in 2018, the 15th pick overall in the NFL draft. Colton Miller um, has worked out pretty darn well, hasn't he? Uh, A lot of people thought it was a reach uh, when the Raiders drafted him uh, in the first round in 2018. Well, it sure has worked out well for both the Raiders and for Colton Miller. He's basically started... Not every game uh, since 2018. There's been an injury here and there. Uh, but uh, he's been a mainstay, let's put it that way, since his rookie year at, at one of the most important positions on the field and more than held his own and continues to get better. And today he signed a contract extension uh, that will keep him in Las Vegas through the 2025 season. Um, and it looks like he's making $42.6 million in guaranteed. He's going to uh, be an annual and average salary of about $18 million or a little bit above $18 million. So congratulations to Colton Miller. And there's a little bit of history uh, involved in this signing and probably not the kind that the Raiders are, are, are happy about whatsoever, uh, but it, it speaks to past regimes and, and decisions and, and you know, uh, why the Raiders are, are uh, kind of in the position that they're in right now of, of still trying to uh, dot the I's and cross the T's on their, on their rebuild uh, in a way that's going to make them a, um, a viable contender for a prolonged period of times rather than a spurt here and a spurt there. But anyway, Colton Miller is the first Raiders first-round pick um, to sign an extension, a contract extension, since all the way back 13 years ago, Darren McFadden, who was drafted in 2008, uh, was a first-round pick and signed a contract extension with the Raiders. Um, that's a long time to go uh, without – being able to return, retain the services of your of your first round pick, and it's not just not be able to. The Raiders have always it's always been the Raiders' decision on whether or not to to extend uh, the, one of their first round picks. The bigger problem is um, far too often they've missed on those first round picks, and they didn't uh, want to extend the contract. Uh, in, in a lot of those cases, they didn't even uh, you know uh, um, exercise the fifth year options, and that goes back to. The drafting was a little bit suspect. It's why John Gruden is here. It's why Mike Mayock uh, is in place trying to get this thing fixed because there were some past mistakes. Uh, we also have to, you know, uh, when, when we're mentioning that, Amari Cooper and uh, Khalil Mack, 
those were tremendous draft picks. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, when it came down to it for the Raiders uh, in terms of retaining both of those players or trading those two players, they opted to trade to get assets uh, and, you know, get their salary cap uh, more under control and be able to uh, gather assets that they were going to use for what amounted to a rebuild. John Gruden got here in 2018, basically took a look at the roster and said, we have a lot of holes uh, to fill. It doesn't really make sense to pay two players a whole lot of money, uh, leaving a bunch of holes all uh, across the uh, across the roster. Uh, you know, He didn't wake up one day and say, gosh, we're going to be better without Khalil Mack, uh, as some people, <laughs> pundits uh, out there uh, in the universe um, – you know, tried to suggest. It wasn't that. It was maybe the Raiders are better off utilizing Khalil Mack as a trade asset, bringing back a bunch of assets um, and, and, you know, uh, and, and utilizing those assets and then the money that was saved under the salary cap uh, to rebuild this thing in the right way. And, you know, three, four years later, uh, the Raiders, you know, are, are coming off an 8-8 eight and eight season uh, the roster is, um, you know, still a work in progress in some areas, but I think that they've made great strides uh, in terms of uh, uh, of getting a foundation set, uh, one that's going to, you know, hopefully uh, propel them to, to long-term success rather than just, you know, kind of, like I said, spurts here and there. Uh, you don't want that. You want to be consistent. And to do that, you have to build uh, a strong foundation, um, you, primarily through the draft where you're just continually refilling and bolstering uh, and, and getting to a point where you have, you know, players that, you know, are, are graduating to second contracts with the team or making some, you know, having to make some tough decisions on letting that player walk uh, in order to get a comp pick, but have somebody behind that player uh, that's ready to rock and roll and, and hold down the fort. That's how the good teams do it. You're in this continual um, cycle of, you know, managing your roster in a way where you where you you know keep the best ones uh, that you possibly can. Sometimes have to say uh, goodbye to some pretty darn good players uh, because of the way the salary cap works. Uh, utilize those comp picks to the best of your ability, um, and 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 to keep that door, you know, that that whole process revolving. And to do that. In order to do that, the fir- first and foremost, what you need to do is be a strong drafting team. Um, draft development, draft development, draft development. I know we all get fired up and excited about free agency and, and, and you know, uh, signing big-time free agents. Well, you can do that. There's no question you can do that, and uh, there's a time to do that. But you don't want to be relying on that to build your t- to build your roster. What you want to do is be able to selectively go out there on the free agent market and supplement what you've already built with uh, a great player or good player at a position of need because it's just, again, that revolving door sometimes means having to say goodbye uh, to a player that you like but you can't necessarily keep because you can't pay everybody. Uh, it just the way this NFL system um, is, is structured, it's just almost impossible. You think the Rams wanted to lose John Johnson, uh, their free agent safety? No, of course not. But they're paying Aaron Donald. They're paying Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they're paying Matthew Stafford, their quarterback. They're paying Jared Goff, really. Uh, they're a quarterback that is now on another roster. Um, and, and, and other players, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And, you know, so you can't keep – the bottom line is you can't keep everybody. So – you know, um, but the Rams 
understanding that it was probably very realistic that John Johnson was going to escape uh, their grasp due to uh, salary cap considerations. What they do, they kept drafting safeties over the last couple of years, four in total, and they signed uh, an undrafted free agent uh, at safety in order to compensate for you know that what was really an in- inevitable loss. Uh, so uh, that's what you have to do. You always have to have players. Uh, in development, uh, they might not be overnight, you know, successes. Look at perfect example, John Simpson. All right, so the Ram or the Raiders have to get rid of, not have to get rid of, but decided to get rid of Gabe Jackson. Um, you know, keep in mind, Colton Miller's making an average now of eighteen million dollars. Uh, that's a lot of money, obviously. But if you want to pay a left tackle, um, you know, one of the better left tackles in the league, you got to pay what it costs. Uh, to, to keep your left tackle. And so that's the going cost. And the Raiders knew that and were didn't budge on that, understood it, and wanted to pay uh, Colton M- uh, Miller, who obviously deserves the contract. But when you have Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, and Trent Brown making uh, just between them or among them 30 almost $40 million uh, collectively – yeah, uh, do the math uh, because there's other positions to pay and there's a salary cap to, to keep an eye on. And all those pieces to the puzzle have to fit under that salary cap. It, it wasn't feasible anymore. So what the Raiders did was, you know, they traded Rodney Hudson. They traded Gabe Jackson. They traded um, uh, Trent Brown. And that, you know, basically allowed them now to be able to divert a whole bunch of money of that <laughs> to – Colton Miller. It's unfortunately, again, the way the salary cap works, you have to make hard decisions like that. Um, and then you just got to hope that Andre James, who's been, you know, working behind the scenes, or behind the scenes, developing behind Rodney Hudson, is ready to go take, uh, you know, the bull by the horns and, and lock down the center position. That's what you have to do sometimes. It's not cool. You don't like it. Nobody likes having to say goodbye to good players, regardless whether it's them leaving as free agents or having to trade them. But sometimes you have to. The key is drafting and developing, drafting and developing. And uh, a guy like Andre James, who was an undrafted free agent that's been uh, you know quietly working behind the scenes, um, is now in a position where you know hopefully uh, from the from the Raiders' perspective. He's ready to, to, to lock it down. And, and all that investment that, that the Raiders made these last couple of years uh, developing him uh, will now pay off because he will make, hopefully, a seamless transition to replacing Rodney Hudson. And while you can't expect Andre James to play at uh, uh, Rodney Hudson's level uh, to start off with, you know, as, as long as he can play his position adequately and, and at, you know, uh, at average level or, or above, the Raiders will be not only in good shape, it'll be much more cost-effective. John Simpson, who the Raiders uh, drafted last year out of Clemson in the fourth round, a guard. Uh, you know, he played a little bit out of necessity. Uh, that really wasn't the plan for John Simpson last year. Last, uh, The plan, essentially, uh, was for John Simpson, uh, much like Andre James has taken two red shirt years, basically, these, his first couple of seasons. The plan was for John Simpson to take a redshirt season last year and develop behind the scenes so that uh, when a Gabe Jackson inevitably had to leave, whether it was you know uh, moving on in a trade, retire, whatever the case might be, you had somebody behind him 
that was ready to go. Now, I'm not saying that John uh, Simpson is ready to take that job yet. Uh, and that's why Denzel Good comes back. That's why Richie Incognito comes back. And we'll see what the Raiders do in the, in the draft. But eventually, hopefully, John Simpson and the investment that the Raiders are making him in him on the development side will pay off and he will uh, eventually emerge as a, as a starting player. That's how you have to do it. And you know, I think we sometimes get caught up in the whole, uh, you know, you have to, it has to happen overnight in terms of uh, rookies. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's the guys that are working behind the scenes that are getting the time in, the work in, that end up paying off big time because uh, while, you know, fans are like, where is he at? Where is he at? He's there. He's in the lab working and you'll see him eventually. And when you do, Hopefully, he'll be ready to, again, take the bull by the horns and lock down the job. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahudar. Give us a call, 702-365-9200. We'll talk to you on the other side. Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. That's right. You are in the huddle. Today, Monsignor brought to you by Tequila Compactor on a uh, busy, busy, busy day. I thought today was just going to be, you know, um, right about the uh, 17th game, which was inevitable. The NFL owners uh, were, were going to vote on that today. Uh, it was basically one of those, yes, you know, I don't need to hear anymore. Yes, we're, we're getting a 17th game. Um and so, you know, you kind of wake up today, that was going to be the news of the day that the vote happened, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden the commissioner uh, on our conference call with the commissioner uh, this afternoon, um, you know, starts talking about how, you know, full capacity for uh, NFL stadiums and he expects to have full capacity at NFL games this year. Uh, and then it's like, whoa, okay. Um, you know, that, that, that becomes a, a writing point and a focal point. And then all here comes Colton Miller uh, signing his contract uh, extension. And congratulations uh, to Colton Miller. And, you know, congratulations uh, to John Gruden, uh, too. Um, you know, you go look at the stats of teams that, um, you know, uh, end up signing their first-round picks uh, to second uh, contracts. It's probably not as uh, many as you as you think. There's a lot. It's still a crapshoot uh, in that first round in the NFL draft. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And you'd be surprised at how many times it doesn't work out. So for John Gruden uh, to walk in the door, um, you know, after not coaching for a while uh, and nail it in a big way uh, with his first first round pick, uh, in his Raiders tenure is, uh, is, is it's, it's not insignificant, let's put it that way. And, um, you know, I think the Raiders are hoping that uh, it's the first of, of, of many more. And uh, we'll start taking a look at uh, who those many mores uh, might be. Um, but uh, I would imagine Clee Farrell is going to be uh, one of those players that gets a second contract. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, jo- Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, is, is definitely a possibility. So you, you already have to start looking ahead in that, in that regard. And we'll see how uh, the drafts unfold uh, this year. And, and we'll get into that today. But uh, in the years ahead and how many uh, of these draft picks ended up, end up sticking around and being part of not just uh, the short term but the long term. Uh, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line because Gabriel is on line two and wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Gabriel? Hey, what's going on? How you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, the 
battle on the offensive line. You know, mm-hmm. um, they're really high on Andre James, and they just signed the vet from Houston, Nick Martin. So I kind of want your opinion. Like, do you think those two are definitely going to battle out, or do you think that they're going to pick a O lineman with our first two picks in the draft? Uh, yeah, I think there's uh, almost. I wouldn't say 100% certainty. You can't say that. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty darn close uh, to a sure thing uh, that an offensive lineman, offensive tackle specifically, uh, will be either the 17th pick or that 48th pick uh, in, the, in the second round. Of course, there's always the possibility of the Raiders trading up or trading down. But, yeah, I mean, you know, when you look at Andre James and Nick Martin, they're going to battle for the center job. Um, both of those players also need to show the Raiders that they can uh, are capable of playing guard. Uh, both players, uh, in Andre James's case, he played tackle at UCLA, so you figure that he can handle guard if need be. Nick Martin uh, played basically his whole senior season at Notre Dame at, at guard after playing uh, most of his career at center. There was an injury, I think it was, and so Nick had to slide to guard, so he's got that on his resume. Uh, so both of those players, it's, it'll be this. Whoever wins that starting center job uh, will now be uh, a versatile – whoever doesn't win that job becomes a versatile backup at guard and center. And who knows? Maybe one of them takes one of the guard jobs. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen, but, you know, um, you can't rule it out uh, either. So, But then when you start talking about the guards, uh, now you have John Simpson – uh, the second-year player from Clemson. You have Denzel Good, who uh, played really well last year in reserve of, uh, of Richie Incognito, also played some right tackle, uh, but was primarily at guard last year, and they re-signed uh, him, the Raiders did. So he's back, and the Raiders have also brought back Richie Incognito, um, who missed all but two games last year with an Achilles tendon injury. By all accounts, he's healthy. He's back. So you've got three guards right now that are – um, you know, firmly in the mix, and we'll see where where that position battle goes. Colton Miller obviously is uh, the starting left tackle, uh, uh, but there's a big open hole right now at right tackle. Um, and so, if you're talking about Gabriel, where the Raiders go in the draft, if you're talking about offensive line, you almost have to say tackle. Um, I, I just, it's such a deep tackle draft. And the Raiders have been, you know, kind of operating uh, with very little urgency in terms of addressing that need um, in, in free agency. That it kind of leads you to believe that they've got their eye on one or two or three, maybe uh, potential candidates uh, in that first round, or maybe even the second round. I, I tend to think that they're going to uh, go tackle in the first round. Um, you know, and and some of the some of the names that that you know to keep an eye on. If if I were you guys, uh, Christian Barishaw, or Darishaw from uh, Virginia Tech, uh, I I think that there's a chance he'll be there with the 17th pick. And if I'm the Raiders, uh, that's probably the direction that I would go in. Um, he's kind of a dancing bear, really uh, refined athletically. Um, great feet, um, strong, long arms, uh, played left tackle at Virginia Tech. Uh, there's some, you know, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, uh, lackadaisical tendencies that he has, but I think it was just so easy for him at Virginia Tech um, that, you know, that, that urgency and that uh, mean streak nastiness didn't always, you know, come out um, with, with Christian at Virginia Tech. But I think uh, when you watch him against really good opponents, um, his his level of play or his level of activity and tenaciousness goes up. So I would expect that when he gets to the NFL, 
that's going to be it on a weekly basis because you ain't playing, you know, Wake Forest. Nothing against Wake Forest, um, but you're not pay- playing an ACC schedule uh, anymore in the NFL. You're playing an NFL schedule, and everybody that you face uh, that crosses, uh, you know, across the line of scrimmage is going to be the best player you face every. Se- I mean, it's just it's 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 a gauntlet. Um, so. Uh, I think that tenacity and that urgency um, that he showed in in big games against bigger opponents um, will be the more will be more of the norm um, in, in the NFL. Uh, if he's not there, uh, a guy to keep an eye on, and I know Raider Nation on Twitter uh, is really high as am I on Tevin Jenkins uh, from Oklahoma State. Not the longest arms in the world, and you have to sometimes think about that um, at tackle because. Um, you know, you're playing, especially in pass protection, your arms become uh, an important tool, you know, to, to keep defenders at bay, uh, basically winning that battle uh, up front. But he's really good with his hands. And uh, in the tape that I've watched, he's, he's been able to negate the short arms uh, situation uh, by, by uh, neutralizing the longer arms of an opposing player uh, with his handwork, you know, being able to swipe at the hands and 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 uh, kind of negate that issue. And on top of that, dude is just a bulldog, uh, as just a mean, nasty. <laughs> go watch the tape of this guy um, and how he uh, the, the second and third effort uh, and his just desire just to destroy you um, and destroy an opponent. And I'm ta- I'm, I'm talking about. Pancaking guys, uh, you know, uh, plow driving uh, block uh, where wh- where he's taken. There's a there's a great video uh, out there, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. Um, you know, on on Twitter where he's just pile driving somebody um, off the playing field, like into the sidelines. Um, and I want to say it was the Texas uh, defensive end that's that's you know going to be an NFL player that he just manhandled. So um, in terms of that, the work, the the tenacity, um, Jenkins you know has that. But if if you know, and I did a side by side over the weekend where I watched both of those players back to back, you know, and uh, I just think that if you have a chance uh, to go get a guy like Darishaw who um, just has that look about him of a decade-long cornerstone um, at, 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 at either tackle spot. Really, he's, got the, he's played left tackle, so he's got the ability to be an NFL left tackle like from day one. And now, because Colton Miller is here, um, you know, you're looking at him as, as your right tackle, so that's just a, a bonus. And, and if you're the Raiders and, you know, you're looking at it from – you know, you have Colton Miller at left tackle. If you could get a guy like Christian Darshaw um, as your right tackle under control uh, for the next five years, you know, hopefully we get back to that, you know, fifth year option, but at least the very next, you know, the next four years. And if he earns the fifth year option and a new contract, there you go. Uh, but you have cost um, uh, certainty at right tackle alongside your high-priced left tackle. So it's kind of the, the best of both worlds right there, and the timing lines up perfectly, um, and it, which is why I kind of think that's where the Raiders are, are headed. Um, and, uh, you know, either one of the – whether it's Darshaw, though, or, or Tevin Young or – or excuse me, Tevin Jenkins. Uh, I really like uh, Liam Eikenberg from Notre Dame. Um, you know, he's been a stalwart uh, – across his entire career, basically, at Notre Dame. And, and 
You go look at the schedule that Notre Dame's played over the years. Um, I know people like to say, oh, they play Navy. Well, Navy, <laughs> go play. you go play Navy. Uh, they're as tough as they come. Uh, but aside from Navy, they're playing USC, Stanford. Uh, they, play, they play every Clemson, Florida State. They play six games now in the ACC, five or six games in the, AFC, in the ACC. They play everybody. Wherever, whenever they've played Georgia, um, you know, so they play an elite schedule. Plus, they go to the playoffs, and and they play great teams in the playoffs. Go watch Eichenberg uh, against Clemson. Go watch him against Alabama against NFL players. And he more than held his own. I don't think he gave up a sack last year, if I remember correctly. So a guy like Liam Eichenberg, um, who has a he might not have the overall ceiling of a Christian uh, Darashaw. Um, and he's not going to wow you necessarily uh, with his athleticism. Um, so, you know, there's that to k- take into account. But if you want to plug in day one a uh, guy that you can, you're going to be able to count on, barring injuries, of uh, being a guy that you're going to be able to count on for years to come, I think a guy like Eichenberg fits that bill. And you look, that, that Notre Dame line, um, there's probably going to be three NFL starters that come out of this particular group uh, at Notre Dame. But if you look across the NFL now, uh, Notre Dame just has been churning out quality offensive linemen. Nick Martin, uh, the new center uh, from the Houston Texans, is a, is, a, uh, is a Notre Dame kid, brother of Zach Martin, one of the best uh, you know, offensive linemen in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys. Quentin Nelson, uh, the fantastic guard from the Indianapolis Colts, went to Notre Dame. So there's a pedigree of um, – real high-end talent uh, along the offensive line at, at Notre Dame that you just can't ignore. So if you're a Liam Eikenberg and you started as many games as he did at Notre Dame, you're pretty darn good because there's NFL players across that line of scrimmage uh, at Notre Dame. So uh, again, and hopefully that answered your, your, your question, Gabriel, um, you know, there's offensive line I think is almost a must uh, with that first pick. That's the direction that I would go. And back to the Raider Nation listener line, John is on line three. John wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, John? Vincenzo, my man. Hey, What's uh, up, my man? Hey, uh, you know, well, I'm really I'm, I'm new to Raider Nation here, and I'm really starting to like this team. But they really have two glaring holes: O line and, and, and defensive backfield, and and. You, you hit the nail on the head, you, you know, when you said they extended uh, Colton there. You know, it's still a crapshoot. So I, I just – I wish they'd plug at least one of these holes. If I was the GM and I had the, the power, you know, you can get some great trades for third, fourth, fifth-round picks. Uh, I, would, I would like to at least see a floor put in with some sort of trade, maybe even on draft day to get a known commodity in, in both of those positions, actually, you know, and, and use your one, two, and three to, to shoot for the stars. But it's just, it's just so obvious that there's, a glare, there's two glaring holes on this team, and they got to plug them. And to, to, to think that you can plug both of those holes in the draft is a little bit of hubris, in my opinion. Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I hear you. It's always going to be a chance. You're, you're always taking a chance if you're relying on you know rookies to come in and, and win the job. I don't. I think the Raiders are going to put themselves in a position, whether it's prior to the draft or post draft, uh, to go find some veteran help. Um, you know, on a just in case basis, and 
you know, if you go to training camp and, and the just-in-case guy beats out the rookie guy uh, because he's playing so much better, then so be it. I mean, that's not a bad thing either. It doesn't mean, you know, that, that uh, down the road the rookie's not going to win the job. Um, but look, if you remember last year, uh, the Raiders signed Prince of Mukamara, the cornerback, after they drafted Damon Arnett in the first round. Uh, you know, training camp starts, and Damon Arnett was the was the starter decisively, and he played really, really well in training camp. That's why I continue to advise Raider Nation not to write Damon Arnett off uh, of what happened last year. That was just a quirky. Uh, injury-riddled season where the poor kid uh, could never stay on the field. Uh, one because of the you know uh, wrist injury that he suffered in training camp, and then required surgery after the third week of the season. You know, uh, shelved him for seven weeks. He comes back, uh, not really the same player, and it's hard to expect him to be after missing that many t- that much time as a rookie. Then there were some concussions, so we don't we have it incomplete on on Damon Arnett. But if you go back to the Damon Arnett that I saw uh, in training camp, who um, played with a swagger and a confidence and a, and a skill level that was apparent, it was it just jumped out at you. You understood that this guy's got a bright future. And if, and if he could get back himself back to that point and then continue to build on that, uh, then I think he's, he's in good shape. But I guess my point is uh, the Raiders didn't just count on that happening. They went out and yeah. got Prince of Mukamara, uh, who yeah. Arnett time, eventually too, you know, beat. I mean, so I wouldn't rule out something post-draft. Um, yeah. You know, once you, one, uh, uh, John, once you once you make do your draft, then you can reassess again and say, okay, you know, uh, maybe it's time to go find a uh, a veteran tackle just in case. Uh, Leon Eichenberg or, or uh, uh, Tavon Jenkins can't handle the job, um, and maybe go find a free safety uh, to to you know compete or push um, whoever it might be, Richie Grant, you know, from University of Central Florida. But I think that in those with those first two picks. Barring some big move that they make at either position, I think that's where they're going to go. And there is time out. You know, I mean, there are the final cuts before the season starts, and there's usually some uh, good stuff that falls out there. And you, and you can even uh, maybe snag somebody off uh, somebody else's practice squad, too. No so there's, question there's, about uh, it. And, and I, you know, there's also trades uh, right before the season uh, start, too. There's going to be... Um, you know, rookies come in and, and beat out veterans uh, across the league. So, you know, if somebody pops free, uh, that is a better option than than what you have. You know, with the rookie or whoever you have on the roster, there's always there's always that uh, as well. But like you said, you know, um, there's a hole. I'm in, I'm at the Raiders facility in in Henderson right now. Uh, there's a whole floor <laughs> office. Um, offices that are dedicated to your pro, um, you know, uh, scouting department. Um, and these guys, what what's their job and gals? What's, what is their job? To monitor every player in the NFL and have a book on every single player on the NFL and have an institutional knowledge of every single player in the NFL. So if one of them becomes available, whether it's, you know, uh, on the waiver wire or uh, a, a team makes it known that they're willing to trade that player. You know, the Raiders know what they're going to be dealing with, and they have a book on that player. So, um, again, uh, don't rule that out uh, as well. But uh, I like where, what you're thinking. I think that they're I – think, I think if I were a betting man, and I'm not, but if I were, uh, I think that the Raiders are going to have – a starter come from the draft at right tackle and free safety. That's just, I know that there's some players out there uh, available at both of those positions through free agency, 
But it's just the way the Raiders have been operating, it sure seems like uh, that's the direction that they're headed. And, um, you know, Colton Miller is, a, is, is living proof uh, that you could survive uh, with a rookie tackle, and he was playing left tackle. There's plenty of examples, especially under Gus Bradley uh, and Ron Milas, the, DB, the new DB coach, uh, of trusting a, a rookie to go get the job done uh, as a rookie at a key position free safety uh, being one of them. So um, I think that, again, I have a feeling that, uh, and I'm not saying anything that everyone else doesn't can't see for themselves, but it sure looks like there's some guys in this draft that the Raiders have their eye on that they believe that they're going to have access to and are, they believe are going to be able to hold, hold down a couple of key positions. You're in the huddle, Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Keep the calls coming. We'll talk to you on the other side. Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. It is a beautiful Tuesday here in Las Vegas. Uh, I know, summer's coming. Um... But uh, it's all good. That's what air conditioners are for. Uh, but the spring in Las Vegas is uh, really a uh, sight to behold. And uh, got a chance to go down the Strip over the weekend. Um, and that's another thing about Las Vegas. Uh, the Strip is there, but, you know, it's far enough, a good 15 minutes away, um, which is far enough uh, that it's not there. You know what I'm saying? Like there's there's – Parts of Las Vegas that you wouldn't even know that you were in Las Vegas, but you know that you're in Las Vegas because it's right not too far away. Everything is really close, um, but not close enough, if that makes any sense. Um, But uh, just being able to, you know, kind of take it all in over the weekend and seeing more and more and more people starting to come into town and staying at the hotels and, you know, gambling at the casinos and soon shows are going to be. Uh, part of, uh, you know, back, you know, up and running and, and, and audiences are going to be able to be part of it. The restaurants um, are more and more filled uh, as, as you see them. I mean, right now I think we're at 50% capacity, but that capacity uh, is being met. Uh, you go to T-Mobile Arena where the Golden Knights play, it's up to 20% um, capacity. So that's uh, a little over 3,000 fans are allowed now at, at games. Um, the NFL commissioner, you know, talking today uh, about uh, the expectation that they're going to have full capacity at NFL games next year. Uh, isn't that just a breath of fresh air? You know, isn't that just like something that you can't wait to see? I mean, we missed it all last year. And I've said this pretty much since game two last year. I'm never taking fans for granted. I never did. I'm not saying that I did. Uh, like I've always appreciated the fan element in professional sports. Uh, I've been to many, many games, and the fans make it. Um, they add an extra element to it. Uh, obviously, there's tremendous talent, whether it's you know on the basketball court and the baseball diamond or or you know NFL stadiums, hockey rinks, whatever the case might be. Uh, but you know a, a, a talented, great game coupled with a tremendous crowd just makes an experience that you don't forget and it kind of gets in your veins and 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 it's the way it should be and we didn't have that last year not one time even at these stadiums where you know there were 10,000 fans or 5,000 fans or 8,000 fans or whatever the case might be you just understood that something was missing 
all last year. I was talking to Mark Davis, the Raiders owner, uh, today for the story I was working on about what the commissioner said. And, um, you know, I told him last year, uh, game three, and uh, the, the Raiders were in New England. So making the drive from my hotel uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, because if you ever go to New England, uh, their stadium, Foxborough, is halfway between Boston or halfway, you know, it's, it's, it's halfway between both Boston and Providence, Rhode Island. So you decide, okay, where am I going to stay, Providence or Boston? What drive do I want to make? Uh, and so this year I stayed in Providence, made the drive uh, to New England for the game, one o'clock game uh, back east. And it, it was the third time that I've been to, uh, to New England over the last four or five years or so. And I remember both the first couple of times that I went, that drive becomes treacherous once you start getting closer to the stadium because there's this huge traffic jam that develops because it's one of those, uh, if you've never been to the to Foxborough Stadium, it's kind of out in the middle of a forest. That's how I describe it. I don't know if it's a forest or not like fully on, uh, but I'm going to call it a forest. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like Ichabod Crane can come you know, uh, uh, bolting out of the forest, uh, headless horsemen and all, uh, because that's what it looks like. But the point being, there's like this one main drag high, you know, street that you eventually have to get on off of the expressway to get to the stadium. And if you pick the wrong time going, you know, traveling from wherever you are to the game, you're going to be stuck in a hellacious traffic jam. It's just the way it is. So you have to plan accordingly. Uh, but even if, no matter how early you get there, you're not going to beat, you know, uh, a lot of the fans. So invariably, there will be some sort of traffic jam getting to a game in New England. And that's not, you know, there's plenty of other stadiums that fit that bill. Well, this year, no fans uh, in New England, third game of the season, I, I mean, a, a, a drive that would normally take you, uh, not a drive, but a, 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 a patch of road that would normally, you'd be normally sitting there for about a half hour, sometimes 20 minutes, 25 minutes because of the traffic to get into the stadium. It was nothing, seconds, maybe a minute it took. Uh, and I was just driving that thinking to myself and I was with my colleagues and we were talking about how I, as much as I hate traffic and as much as um, a hassle it is getting to uh, Foxborough Stadium and having to deal with that, uh, that, that traffic jam, I would gladly take it right now if it meant fans being in the stadium. Because once you got to the stadiums last year, it was like a mausoleum. It was quiet. It was really quiet. And uh, there was no aroma. You didn't smell, you know, the the, the bratwurst and the ribs and and you know the steak and the carnis, uh, uh, you know, all, all the all the hot dogs, the beer, of course, the alcohol in the in the in the parking lot, um, the barbecue smoke. Um, all of that is a normal thing when you're when you drive up to a stadium and you can smell it, and it just reminds you it's a big game. The fans are out there doing their thing with the tailgates. Some of them, you, you, they know you from Twitter or you know them. You've seen, hey, how you doing? It's fun. Uh, it makes the atmosphere and the, and the game day experience that much more exciting. But there was none of that last year, none of it. Um, so as I was walking down the strip, you know, on Sunday and seeing that come to life again, and just so you know, last year at this time, right, where are we at, March, maybe a little bit, maybe maybe a month from now, the Strip was just nothing. Like, you could go down to the Strip here in Las Vegas, and 
everything. There was no, there were very, 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 very few cars other than cars like myself that just wanted to check it out in that state. But you know what you saw more? Families on bikes, <laughs> bike excur- excursions up and down the strip. Um, but that's all you had. And it was just like, all I kept thinking about was there's like jobs that are not being filled right now. There's people that are not working right now. Uh, this is a hustling, bustling city that relies on this element, and we don't have it right now. Uh, on Sunday, it almost looked like it was normal. It's still not quite, but on Sunday when I was walking around the strip, it looked like it was almost normal. I got a rush, to be honest with you. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully five more months and fans will be allowed at Allegiant Stadium and every other stadium, uh, full capacity. We will see. You're in the huddle, Vinnie Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador on the other side. Q Myers will join me, our good friend. Talk to you on the other side.